The summer's air is thick and sweet. You sit lazily on your front porch with your two friends, Judy and Howard. Drink in hand, you feign interest as they go about their latest debate on who's the better gardener. Gardening tug bores you to no end, but you love them, so you nod your head occasionally and laugh at the right moments. You take a sip from your glass. Something about the witching hours of the night just make margaritas taste better. You wipe sweat now beating on your temple and gaze out onto the street. During the day, the neighborhood is alive with the sounds of children at play, neighbors washing their cars in the hot sun and gossiping about local news and such. But now, all is peaceful. The only sound is that of the crickets, the hoots of a nearby owl, and the occasional car passing by. You relish in these few happy moments, far away from the day's troubles. If this isn't nice, you don't know what is. That's when you see it. From out of the corner of your eye, you see a shadow swoop over the lawn, swift and silent. You do a double take, but nothing's there. It must have been the damned owl, you tell yourself, and laugh half-heartedly as Judy makes a risque joke about petunias. But then you see it again. A large, hovering black mass. At the edge of your lawn is a towering figure, slender yet broad of shoulder. It might have even passed as a tall man if not for two things. A halo of light seemed to surround the creature, as if the golden moon herself hid just beyond it. And its wings, two giant bat-like wings that shot out from its back. <gasps> you drop your glass and jump to your feet. Behind you, you hear your friends get up as well, Howard cursing and Judy muffling a horrified scream. Try as you might, you three are frozen under the creature's gaze. You can do nothing as it draws closer and closer. When there is only but two feet between you and the bat-like man, it reaches out to you as if to touch your face. You want to run, want to scream for help, the police, anyone, but you cannot. Fear grasps you far too tightly. So you close your eyes and pray that the creature will be gone when you open them next. It is as if it senses this. For after a few moments have passed, you open your eyes to find the creature slowly backing away. Once it reaches the edge of your lawn, the glow around it begins to fade. And just like that, it's gone. It's as if it had never been there at all. Greetings from the Shadow World, and welcome to Humble Hauntings, where ghost enthusiasts and lovers of the unknown can pull up a seat and make themselves at home. I am your host, MJ McAdams, part-time shadow person, full-time supernatural seeker, and today we are soaring high through the skies of uncertainty to join the mysterious beasts that make our fears and imaginations take flight. Today marks the final episode of the Spirits of the Elements mini-series, and today our focus will be the haunting and mystic powers of the air. More specifically, 
We will be searching for the creatures whose wings have glided across the winds of time and whose legends are stronger and more powerful than any tempest. But first, a message from our friends at Octoberpod. This is Edward October for Octoberpod, take one. We know a remote farm in Lancaster where Mrs. Buckram lives. Every July, pumpkins grow there. You really mean that? I think you're reading the wrong script. You're supposed to be telling folk about Octoberpod. Let me, um, let me get you a copy of the new script. <clears throat> but, but that's bad copy. I think it's so nice that you see a snow-covered field and say every July, pumpkins grow there. Ed, what are you, what are you looking at? What snow-covered field? This is an audio promo. Edward October for Octoberpod, take two. We know of a fjord in Norway near where the cod gather in great shoals. There, Jorg Tostensen frees the cod, adding a crumb-crisp coating. Ooh, that's tough. Crumb-crisp coating. Let's just talk about Octoberpod. You see, Ed, I was thinking... Ed wasn't drinking! What? I said thinking. I was thinking we should just talk about your show. You know, Octoberpod? Retro horror for bold individualists? I didn't say anything about drinking. You didn't say it. He said it. Who are you talking to? Your friend. There's no one else in here. Edward October for Octoberpod. Take three. This is a lot of shit. You know that, don't you? <clears throat> now, you want another one on what? Peas? Stream Octoberpod. Available now on YouTube, Vimeo, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podchaser, and at OctoberpodVHS.com. Octoberpod. Retro horror for bold individualists. Octoberpod, a retro horror show for bold individualists. And now, for today's terrifying tales of the unknown. One for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, four for birth, five for heaven, six for hell, seven for the devil, his own self. This is an old nursery rhyme. And like most old nursery rhymes, it carried a foreboding message for all those who heard it. There was a time when the counting of crows, or more specifically, magpies, were believed to tell you whether good or bad luck was in store for your future. Magpies, like many carrion birds, have been thought to be an ill omen from as early as the 16th century. But the art of counting birds dates back even further. Augury, a form of divination usually performed by studying natural phenomena, such as the behavior of birds and other animals, has been practiced as far back as the days of the ancient Roman Empire. In fact, one of the most famous tales of Augury was the founding of Rome itself. It was said that when Remus and Romulus, the famed founders of Rome who were raised by a she-wolf, were deciding where the foundation of Rome would be, they consulted Augury, leaving the choice to the will of the gods. Romulus would see their city built upon Palatine Hill, 
while Remus thought it more strategic to make the nucleus of Rome atop Aventine Hill. So, each brother made their way to their hill of choice and prepared a sacred space to watch for birds, after which Romulus declared that he was the winner. You see, Romulus had seen 12 birds, while his brother had only seen six. Over time, the tales of augury began to focus on what people believed to be the most mysterious of birds, possible ill omens of what the future might hold for them. And so, much lore began to form around crows and ravens. They have inspired countless tales throughout the ages, such as The Raven by Edgar Allan Poe, and even in more modern times, like in Neil Gaiman's The Sandman. There's a certain sense of mystery that people associate corvids with, which in turn has sparked the imagination and superstitions of people all over the world. These birds are truly marvelous and intelligent creatures that have a history of getting a bad rap. But if you look at the history of superstitions, it's not at all surprising. Animals with black fur or feathers have often been associated with grim tidings. A black cat, as many well know, was said to bring bad luck if it crossed your path, while tales of black dogs being omens of death are almost endless. There is another side to the legends of Corvids. In Norse mythology, Odin had a pair of ravens, Hugin and Munin, who acted as his messengers and flew all over Midgard to bring him information. We see both the raven and the crow as prominent figures in Native American folklore as well. According to native-languages.org, in Native American folklore, the intelligence of crows is usually portrayed as their most important feature. In some tribes, the crow is conflated with the raven, a larger cousin of the crow, that shares many of the same characteristics. In other tribes, crow and raven are distinct mythological characters. Crows are also used as clan animals in some Native American cultures. Tales of these birds can even be found in religious texts such as the Bible. In Genesis, it is said that the raven was the first bird Noah sent to find land once the floodwaters receded. And in the Hebrew Talmud, it was the raven who taught mankind how to deal with death. When Cain was killed by Abel, it was a raven who showed both Adam and Eve how to bury his body, for they had never had to bury someone before. Whether viewed as good or misfortune to come across these birds, one thing cannot be denied. When it comes to the history of mankind, birds have often let our imagination soar. We are fascinated by winged creatures, and it is this fascination which has taken these tales beyond mere avian form and into something far more sinister. I speak, of course, of a few well-known flying cryptids. Tales of the Jersey Devil, or the Devil of Leeds, dates back to as early as the 1700s. There are a few variations of the story, but the most common one is that a woman who had found out she was pregnant for the 13th time 
cursed upon the news, shouting, This child will be the devil. On a dark and stormy night, as such tales often go, the woman gave birth to her thirteenth child, and at first, all seemed normal and well. To the naked eye, he was just another bouncing baby boy. But then, the infant began to change. In place of the human baby, a horrifying creature took form. A creature with a goat's head, hooved feet, a forked tail, and wings like a giant bat. It began to growl and emitted a blood-curdling shriek before flying up and out of the chimney, disappearing over the New Jersey Pinelands. One of the first and most famous sightings of the creature was reported by Napoleon's older brother, Joseph Bonaparte, in 1812. According to Bonaparte, he was out hunting near his estate in Bordentown when he saw the Jersey Devil flying overhead. Soon after, people began reporting eyewitness accounts of their own. As years passed, the creature was blamed for more than a few livestock killings. Some even witnessed their livestock being attacked, reporting that the creature emitted a horrifying screech before attacking its victims. The legend of the Jersey Devil solidified itself in U.S. lore when almost a thousand reports of the creature swept all across South Jersey in 1909. A Navy commander by the name of Stephen Decatur said he had even shot the creature while testing cannonballs at Hanover Mills Works in the Pine Barrens, the alleged home of the Jersey Devil himself. He claimed that the devil was indeed hit by the projectile, but it didn't seem to notice, or even care. The commander pursued the creature, following an unusual set of tracks in the direction he saw the creature land. But he found nothing, not even a trace of blood. And his bloodhounds were said to have refused to follow the tracks left by the devil, seeming to act uncharacteristically fearful of the scent the creature left behind. Witness accounts began to fluctuate as time passed, but never truly died out. In 1960, residents of May's Landing began to hear terrifying screams each night. No one could explain these noises, and locals were well aware that such screaming was a sort of calling card of the Jersey Devil. Needless to say, it set the community in a state of panic. When police began to hang flyers assuring everyone that the Jersey Devil was a mere hoax, a local circus owner refuted this claim and stated that not only was this creature quite real, but that he would pay the sum of $100,000 to anyone who could capture the creature and bring it to him. But the Jersey Devil was never caught, and the reward remained unclaimed. Though the legend of the Jersey Devil is often used as no more than a frightening campfire tale, there are some who claim that old JD is a peaceful being who minds to himself and even watches over some. In 1993, for example, forest ranger John Irwin was patrolling along the Muleka River when all of a sudden, he came to a stop. Just ahead of him, blocking the road, was a figure almost six feet in height with a tangle of black fur. The creature stood upright, like a human, 
but had an animalistic face and a pair of great horns that sat atop its head. The two stared at each other for what felt like hours, and then, without a sound, the creature turned away and ran back into the forest. In Galloway Township, Fran Capello, owner of the Smithville Inn and Village, was taking out trash one evening when an oddly shaped shadow stopped her in her tracks. She looked above her and saw the outline of a large winged creature watching her. The creature made no sudden movements, and as Capella watched, she said she felt calm. To her, it felt as though this creature meant her no harm, as if it were merely watching over her. The Jersey Devil has become a staple of U.S. urban legends and is one of the most famous cryptids even today. Though the creature's true nature remains a mystery to us, one thing is perfectly clear. The legend of old JD is here to stay, and he's not the only cryptid taking to the sky. Stories of the Owlman, sometimes referred to as the Cornish Owlman, share certain similarities with the U.S. cryptid the Mothman. The Almond legend first began in 1976 in the village of Maunen, Cornwall. A paranormal researcher and writer, Tony Dockshiles, claimed that he had been investigating a report given by two young girls who were visiting Maunen on holiday. The girls in question had been walking near the St. Maunen and St. Stephen's Church when they witnessed an unusual and frightening sight. Just above the church tower hovered a large winged creature that they described as a feathered man. They were so frightened of this creature, in fact, that upon hearing their story, the young girl's father cut the family holiday short. When Doc questioned the girls further, one of them drew out a picture of the feathered man, which upon seeing it, Doc dubbed the Owl Man. Sightings of the Owlman began to pop up sporadically through the late 70s and well into the 80s. On July 3rd of that same year, a 14-year-old girl named Sally Chapman had been camping with friends near the very same church. In her account, she described hearing an unnatural hissing sound as she stood just outside her tent. When she turned towards this hissing sound, she was shocked to find an owl-like being a few feet from the campsite. It was as tall as a man, but with pointed ears, and had the face and feathered body of an owl. It watched her with glowing red eyes before taking flight back over towards the church. As soon as the creature took to the air, young Sally could make out its black, almost pincer-like claws. Two more sightings similar to Sally's were both reported just two years later in 1978, both near the very church of the Almond's first recorded sighting. In 1989, Doc Shiles interviewed another individual who claimed to see this legendary Owlman. The young man, known only as Gavin, was with his girlfriend when they had a run-in with the cryptid, who, quote, was about five feet tall. The legs had high ankles and the feet 
were large and black, with two huge toes on the visible side. The creature was gray with brown, and the eyes definitely glowed. The last known sighting of the Owlman was believed to be in 1995, when a woman from Chicago had visited Cornwall and wrote to the Western Morning News back home that she had seen what she described as, quote, a man-bird with a ghastly face, a wide mouth, glowing eyes, and pointed ears, as well as clawed wings. And then, of course, is the legendary tale of Mothman, a flying cryptid that has captured countless minds and inspired almost all corners of pop culture as a subject of books, movies, TV shows, and even a festival named after the creature itself. The Mothman legend began on November 12, 1966, in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Five gravediggers working in a cemetery near Clinton in West Virginia said that a man-like creature flew just over their heads and above the nearby trees as they began to dig a fresh grave. They said that the being moved rapidly from tree to tree before vanishing out of sight. Three days later, two couples from Point Pleasant, West Virginia, Steve and Mary Mallet, and Roger and Linda Scarberry went to local police to report a sighting of their own. Their account of the Mothman sighting was then reported in the Point Pleasant Register, titled, Couples See Man-Sized Bird, Creature Something. The national press picked up the story soon after, which helped spread the local tale all across the United States. The two couples had been driving together on the outskirts of town in what was known as the TNT area, a site of a former World War II munitions plant. It was a calm November evening, and nothing at all seemed out of the ordinary. The four individuals were enjoying their leisurely drive and chatting happily amongst one another when they saw it. A large, white creature with ten-foot wings and eyes that shone a frightening red in the glow of the car's headlights. It was quick and silent. The creature appeared to be following them as they drove down the deserted road. With fear and shock gripping all four of them, they sped up, hoping to put as much distance between themselves and the mysterious being. But the creature only soared faster overhead. Desperate, they hit the gas pedal as hard as they could, speeding down the road in a frenzy. But no matter how fast they went, the creature was faster. The two couples didn't know what to do. It seemed that they couldn't escape the being above them. And just as all hope seemed to be lost, the creature vanished, veering off over a nearby field and then out of sight. Over the course of the next few days, various sightings were reported by Pine Point locals, including that of two firemen who claimed to have seen what they described as a large bird with red eyes. The Silver Bridge, a suspension bridge connecting West Virginia and Ohio, collapsed just a month later 
on December 15th. The disaster killed 46 people, and many thought the Mothman was to blame. You see, sightings of the cryptid had been so frequent leading up to the bridge's collapse that many locals thought it odd that when the accident did occur, there were no sightings for quite some time after. Because of the Mothman's disappearance in the Silver Bridge aftermath, people came to believe that the sightings of this creature were connected to the collapse. Today, the origins and the exact nature of this creature are still unknown. Stick around after a word from our sponsors to hear the legend of Houston's very own Batman, also known as the Houston Horror. Down in the heart of Houston, Texas, near Buffalo Bayou, is one of the city's best-kept secrets. Houston is well known as a cultural mecca, a city as lively as the citizens who inhabit it. But there's a particular group of permanent residents that sends people's hearts aflutter. Houston is home to what is quite possibly the largest colony of Mexican free-tailed bats in all of Texas. Now, this city loves their bats, so much so that it is not uncommon to see groups of local Houstonians flocking to witness the tiny creature's nightly emergence from their home underneath Wadrive Bridge. Once the sun goes down, thousands of these bats take flight and search for the insects that will become their next meal. Onlookers watch in awe as the sunset is replaced by a bat-strewn sky. It is a sight that they aren't soon to forget. So isn't it just a bit ironic that of all the cryptids that could possibly be spotted in this city, it would be the one that is very much bat-like in appearance? I speak, of course, of Houston's very own Batman. It all began on July 18th, 1953. It was nearly 3 a.m. in the Houston Heights, and 23-year-old Hilda Walker was entertaining two of her neighbors, Judy Meyer and Howard Phillips. They sat out on her patio, enjoying some small talk along with the fresh summer air, when Hilda noticed something unusual. The three friends had been deep in conversation, when out of the corner of her eye, Hilda spotted a large shadow whisk across the lawn. Thinking it but an owl, she paid it little mind. That is, until the shadow swooped down once more and came to stand on her front lawn. This time, she could not ignore the creature waiting just feet away from where she sat. Judy and Howard followed her gaze as well, and what they saw had each of them frozen in pure terror. It was no bird that stood before them. It was tall, nearly six and a half feet if not more. Slender and broad of shoulder, the being might have passed for a towering gentleman, but for two key features. The being was surrounded in a halo of glowing yellow light. And not only that, it had a pair of gargantuan bat-like wings that fanned out behind it. Hilda and her neighbors were baffled and horrified all at once. 
none of the three friends could fully comprehend the being in front of their very eyes. The creature did not give them long to do so either. After a minute or more of watching them quietly, the haze of light that engulfed it began to fade away. And just like that, the bat-like humanoid had vanished. We don't know too much about the Houston Batman after this. All we are left with is some old newspaper clippings, the local lore itself, and our own imaginations. True or not, we have to wonder, is there more than just birds and bats riding that Bayou City breeze? One of the most powerful of nature's forces. A force that has more than a few stories lingering on its breeze. The creatures that take to the air, gliding upon the wind and soaring above us, fill us with a sense of magic and mystery. So it's no surprise that so many tales of specters and spooks can be found if one only looks skyward. Thank you for joining me today at Humble Hauntings, a place that paranormal enthusiasts can always call home. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and share with your friends. When it comes to ghostly ventures, the more, the merrier. But until next time, my spookables, remember, home is where the haunt is. <laughs>